0: Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined on the phone all the way from America by Miss Bix. Are you well?
1: Oh, yes, I'm doing
0: quite well. How about you? I'm doing not too bad for an old man. Um, but yes <laughs> um, no, you're busy at the moment promoting your new album Bring It do you have time to relax and chillax
1: <laughs> well uh funny you should mention that because I'm planning to get away to Mexico for the first time in many years tomorrow but right yeah
0: I've, I've never been to Mexico is that somewhere you've been before
1: yeah there's Puerto Vallarta is a nice town. It's got a lot of cultural stuff going on, and then the beaches up above there are really nice. I've been there once before. You have to be really warding off all the people trying to sell you something, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. best price, best price, best price.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but uh, it's fun.
0: Can we expect in your next album maybe some Mexican influences? I don't
1: know. We'll see how much tequila I, I drink. Again.
0: Well, let's, I love tequila. Let's give people a bit of a, an insight into who you are. And you started writing, recording, and performing way back in. Well, I say way back. That sounds awful. Uh, in your I know. In your twenties. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I actually started even younger, but I was terrified to perform. So uh, I didn't get up the nerves to do it, essentially, until I was in my 20s. So, yeah.
0: So what was it that inspired you to actually start writing then?
1: You know, I think it's the thing that inspired a lot of girls my age. It was, like, I think Joni Mitchell, the album Blue – Mm. Um, Joan Baez and Dylan and doing their thing. You know, Joan Baez was like the first woman with her guitar and her beautiful face and her hair blowing in the wind. And it was just a very captivating thing. And I had, you know, a voice to do enough to really feel like I I could emulate that. And, and then Joni Mitchell coming out with these really unusual self revelatory and you know, honest songs on the album blue, I just flipped out, you know, it just felt like home to me Yeah. and the Beatles, you know, uh, and I mean, I was, I was younger. My, my older sisters like were of the age to go see the Beatles, but that rocked my world. I remember them on the Ed Sullivan show and just like, Oh my God. You know, so that's it. You you were
0: listening to the 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 pop hits of the time and folk music, but if my information yeah. is correct, you you started out doing jazz.
1: You know, I don't think it was jazz, but it's like a marketing question. Like you know, at the time that I got, it wasn't my start, but when I got my first record deal was during uh, the eighties. And smooth jazz was a thing, really new thing. And my husband plays saxophone. He's more of a bebop, like real jazz player. But we got a deal, and we had written the music together. So they put us in the jazz market. You know, it it kind of was that time when it wasn't... It was still cool. It was like it was the yellow jackets and... Just people that were doing innovative things, Herbie Hancock, and where they were mixing a lot of things together, and that's when we did the jazzy, sort of jazzy thing. But then I realized that wasn't really me.
0: Does it frustrate you, the way uh, record companies and radio presenters are, included myself in this, the way we pigeonhole?
1: Yeah. Well, it's all about uh, what is the title of your genre for charting and selling purposes so i was i was new adult contemporary which you know was kind of like where people go to die but no it was okay it was. It started out well with great artists like sean colvin and you know bonnie Raitt, all Mm. the people that i loved but then it it got taken over by these the the smarmy saxophones and then uh no disrespect to sax players, but it just got flooded. Yeah. You know, and so then, uh, yeah, then I went on to some different things.
0: The show that I do is called Shades of Blues because if you just say blues, people automatically think of Chicago blues or something like that. But there's so much out yeah. there that incorporates the blues, like Cajun, Zydeco, and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of. Rock, a lot of my blues was served to me through my favorite rock bands. Like I loved Crosby, Stills and Nash, and I loved Stephen Stills. And uh, it wasn't until later I realized that when he that de- he w- when he would do his acoustic stuff, he was playing, he was playing kind of a hill country blues vibe at times, and very soulful, and and. I realized most of the blues acts that I liked were actually, um, I mean, most of the rock things I liked were actually blues-driven, you know, mm. and had that Steve Winwood, even, you know. Uh, just oddball people who were really kind of bluesy at heart, you know.
0: Well, we've said many a times, if you trace it back, it all leads back to the blues.
1: yeah. And it wasn't until I went to Clarksdale, I started teaching up in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and um, doing which is the alleged home of the blues. You know where the blues. The, there's no born. alleged
0: about it, Miss Bix. There's no alleged about it. It is the home of the blues.
1: Well, <laughs> I just mean, the, the story, the story about Robert Johnson being a, a legend, where he yeah he yeah sold, yeah. Yeah, I don't mean that it isn't isn't because it is. No, I mean when I went there, I flipped out over it. I felt it, but
0: yeah, I, I've I've been I myself a couple of I, times, and it does have that mystical feel yeah, about it.
1: It does. Yeah, it, it was like when I went there, I went, okay, that's it. This is where I am. This is this is my roots, and and the blues museum there. I don't, did you go over there?
0: I have not had a chance to check that out, but I will at some point in the future.
1: Yeah, you should. It's awesome. Mm. When I went over there, I realized, oh, wow, it's the other way around. Because, like, Led Zeppelin, all these fans had, you know, thanked the blues, essentially, the Rolling mm. Stones.
0: Well, we've sort of jumped ahead a little bit because you was talking about the, the oh. smooth jazz era. And Sorry. that didn't, no, don't <laughs> apologize. <laughs> there's no, there's no rules on this whatsoever. Um, the, the smooth jazz thing didn't really appeal to you, but then you started writing songs for children, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I, I had a, re- you know, when the record deal kind of fell apart and they, the, the company fell apart and I just, we moved to LA, we were living in Fresno at the time. And, uh, I had a kid, we had this little boy, and and I just fell in love with my, my little boy's life and world and music. So um, the kindergarten teacher asked if anyone had different things they would be willing to do, and I said I would do music. And I started writing songs to fit their needs, like when someone would lose a tooth, you know. And so I made up a little tooth fairy song with an activity where they they were they were in the middle of the room lying on a pillow, and then some. They pick their fairy godmother to come put the little. I don't know if you even have that tradition, but we have that here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where if you yeah.
0: Yeah, But I was going to say, I said that you write wrote songs for children, but they're not just for children, are they? The whole family can enjoy them. One in particular I was listening to earlier today, The Freeze. That's almost oh. like a blues song. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's funny that you say that, yeah. No, it definitely my my kids' songs were more trying to be just good music that interested kids, yeah.
0: And, you and had,
1: it, it is blues. <laughs>
0: you had some uh, estimable help on that with Dick Van Dyke, didn't you?
1: Oh, yeah, and Chad Smith but yeah um if you're going in order yeah it started with dick van dyke he he, because i was into pirates this was before the pirates of the caribbean but it was kind of simmering the whole pirate mystique so i wrote a song for kids um called i'm a pirate and they loved it so i ran into dick van dyke around town several times i finally just Said, you know, because he kind of followed my husband, who taught at Malibu High, ran the music department, and I just said, "Would you be interested in listening to this?" And he was very nice. He said, "Yes, I'd I'd love to do this." So he came to our house and recorded it, and we were laughing and goofing around the whole time. So he did another one called "Vance the Vacuum Cleaner," and. So we kept working together and we're really good friends
0: to this day. Excellent. And you've actually won awards for those albums, haven't you? Mm
1: hmm. Yeah. Parents' Choice Awards.
0: Yeah. Well, then, like, say you went to Clarksdale in Mississippi, and that's where you had a almost like a light bulb moment that that was what you wanted to do the blues.
1: Yeah. And Even more than what I wanted to do, that was who I was, is how I felt, mm. you know? So it was what, like, oh!
0: Was it just the atmosphere me? of the place, or did you see a performance and think, oh, yes, that's it?
1: Well, at this camp, there were people at these workshops at the Shack Up Inn. The place was very, very characteristic and had a lot of qualities. of it. Just, they took these old sharecropper cabins and then... They gathered them a, on a property that was an old cotton field with the, you know, the main hall was the first electric cotton gym. Mm-hmm. And there were cotton fields all around. And they named the shack after the, um, after various blues people. Um, I think, I don't know how, and we went to Reds which was a great juke joint and and then we went to Ground Zero and Hambone and a lot of places around it. But I can't put my finger on any one thing except it was in the air. I yeah. don't know. I just felt yeah. I felt it hanging in the air. Maybe the maybe the the sky, the weather, the you know but I felt something. I, and the first song I wrote, Voodoo Man, was just was just um, coming out of that, really. Just all the things you associate with that. And and so it was like a tracing back of what I loved and realizing this is pretty much my favorite thing. Even though, you know, not every blues person or song, but just the whole vibe of it felt like the right thing.
0: So you wrote and recorded the album "We Don't Own the Blues." Right. How quickly did that come about? Was it? Did it just sort of spill out following all these feelings, or was it a, a labor of love?
1: Well, my writing usually comes very quickly, but the production was slow because I was working with my friend Ralph, and he's one guy, you know, with his studio in his backyard, and it was we moved as as he could you know, make the time between all the different things that he was doing. So, but I'd say the songs came out pretty quickly, you know, from that, from that experience. So this is over a period of three years that I was going there about three, four times a year for like two weeks at a time. So it would, it would definitely have been a pretty quick inspired thing Yeah. from that. Well, yeah.
0: jumping forward to your most recent release, Bring It, uh, there's a track on there, it's um, a collaboration with Keisha Pratt, Red Walls. Um, how did that one come about?
1: Well, actually, I wrote it, but she sang it with me. Um, she That came about, uh, it was, you know, the, just feeling that terrible angst about our, our situation with police violence toward black people and... George Floyd had just happened, and I think another one after that. And it just was, it, it's that crazed feeling like, where are we going? Like, we've already done this, I thought, you know, mm. and the, all the hatred that's bubbling up right now. So, you know, I come from that folksy, protesty thing. It's in me, you know. So I wrote it and then I gave it to my. I showed it to my label head, Sally ben- Benson. And she, cause I wanted her to weigh in on it. And she said, I love this. And I think, you know, I said, I kind of want to get somebody, a black person to sing it with me. So it doesn't sound like I'm trying to speak for, for a certain thing mm. without being in kinship with them. Yeah. I don't know. And, uh, she said i know the person who's got the voice to deliver this hard you know and Keisha was totally into it the minute she heard it she's like i have to do it yeah so we you do
0: work well off each other as well
1: oh thank you well i think she's got such a rich gorgeous just a an honesty in her voice that i love mm. you know a weight she has a weighted feeling that it's just so pleasing and so heartfelt
0: well you've suffered a major trauma in recent times with the california wildfires which destroyed your home which i can't begin to imagine how traumatic that would be
1: and i hope you never do because it's it's something it is so we're going through that here
0: had the album been recorded prior to that
1: no no we well this the, this recent one happened a little more quickly. We, the out let's see where were we when it was 2018, and uh, yeah, for the first couple of years we were just scrambling to try to get a a building permit again. So we didn't do the album until we were living in our third rental, waiting to start rebuilding, and uh, mostly done. Over Facetime and a few, you know, people. Oh, then COVID is really what put put a challenge on that whole thing because mm. you know people didn't want to meet in studios. No. So,
0: so the, the but, picture on the album cover—that's you in the wreckage of your home, is it?
1: Yep. That's but, the, That was our fireplace. We had this crazy rock fireplace that um, a stonemason had done because he lived here. So it was just particularly sad to lose all that so but (laughs) now we've got a new house so
0: i was gonna say did did that experience and everything that's happened in the past couple of years inspire some of the songs
1: definitely yeah um well and the title which was kind of like well it was after the fire and there was another personal thing I had to go through. It was really scary and hard for a year or so, and then, and then COVID, and it was just this feeling like, what else you got, you know? Mm. But yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a, a defiance and also in some way a fighting spirit, you know, that I feel from going through that and coming out the other side. Like all of us that are facing stuff like that now. And well,
0: there's the old saying, isn't there? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think it's true.
0: So, are there plans to go on tour with this album then?
1: Well, I'm just getting going now, but seeing seeing how our healthscape resolves, you know, not nothing's nothing's set in stone, but I would love to go out. We're doing little gigs around around California now. And uh, get it. I'm just sort of forming my band and finding the right people for the music, and got some great players.
0: And well, the album's uh, getting plenty of airplay and good reviews. So there's an audience out there willing to see you.
1: <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it's a weird time for music. You know, it's not easy.
0: Hmm. Are you? looking towards the next album already, or are you still concentrating on this one?
1: I'm still, like, still working this one, still feeling like there's some life left to, you know, to keep pushing and going. I mean, it's like rediscovering them. when During the pandemic, when I wrote these songs, most of them were um, never really road-tested the way you do when you're, when you're performing a lot, mm-hmm. um, and you kind of know which songs, how they are when you perform them. But these were laboratory songs that I'm now bringing out into the world. So it's kind of fun, because it's like they're reanimating right now. Yeah. So it's, it still feels very new, with these songs.
0: So once you do get out and start performing, maybe... Uh, the songs will evolve, and
1: yeah, can, they already are definitely. Yeah.
0: Is the uh, possibly a live album on the cards?
1: That's a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> I'll have to give you credit for. That. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, it's...
0: no! You can have that one. That's your present. Um... Oh, thank you. <laughs> But also the the experience of traveling and touring and stuff, uh, that can often inspire some amazing songs as well.
1: Yes, yes. Little ditties that pop out for necessity, kind of like, you know, things that just feel good. Like, I don't know, when I saw Keb Moe, I couldn't believe, I don't know if you, you've seen him, but...
0: I would love life. to. I would love to see him.
1: Oh man, he came through town, and it was the one thing I went to during the pandemic. But his live show was another animal entirely from his, you know, album. And so I bought his live album, and it was it's incredible. So yeah, it is. It's a whole different thing. It's yeah. a really different world, and it's a group effort. You know, you you can control things more in the studio because I I pretty much produced it. Myself and got very, you know, detailed with how it was arranged and done. And then I worked with a great guy, uh, Charlie Pollard in Dragonfly Creek Studio, who had an incredible ear and sense for things. But it, it's kind of like you can do it just how you want when you go out on the road. You gotta, it's a group effort. Yeah. And you need to surrender that a little bit.
0: Well, hopefully things will even out and you can get in the studio sometime next year maybe and uh, we'll look forward to some new tunes with maybe a hint of mexican in the background
1: okay (laughs) (laughs) thank you for taking
0: the time out to do this and we must do it again sometime